0: Hello, and welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. I have walked two Caminos. I'm an amateur, really, in terms of what some people have done. I walked in 2016 with a Dutchman who was on his 18th Camino. In 2017, I walked with a woman on her 12th Camino, and when she finished, she was walking back to where she began. I don't pretend to be an expert. I'm simply a conduit for pilgrims to tell the story of their Camino. Hundreds of thousands of pilgrims walk the Camino each year. Who knows what they are looking for? Who knows what they hope to find? And who knows why they are walking? Who knows if it's spiritual, mystical, magical, and in some cases, a pain in the neck and the feet, knees and t- toes? My guest this week is the American Camino author, Steve Watkins. He wrote a book called Pilgrims Strong. Now, before I get to Steve, I was in charge of music for my cousin's wedding last week. One of the songs I played was Bob Dylan's Make You Feel My Love. And something about this lyric touched the pilgrim in me. The storms are raging on the rolling sea and on the highway of regret. The winds of change are blowing wild and free. You ain't seen nothing like me yet. I could make you happy, make your dreams come true. There's nothing that I wouldn't do. Go to the ends of this earth for you, to make you feel my love. Steve Watkins, author, pilgrim, come in here. Hello, Dan.
1: Good morning from Santiago de Compostela, Spain.
0: Yeah, and we were talking just before we began the interview. You've been there a few months now. Tell us what you've been doing, your wife and and you.
1: Yes, and... um... I walked my second pilgrimage in 2016 uh, and brought my wife along so that she could experience everything that uh, I had experienced in 2015 and at that time was writing a book and wanted her to know uh, uh, a lot of what I was going through during that time. And when we were here, um, when we made it to the end, we came across a lovely little place in Old Town called Pilgrim House, which is a faith-based nonprofit uh, that is run by uh, a, a nonprofit organization back in the United States called One Collective. We met the founders here, um, actually spent a wonderful afternoon at Pilgrim House doing some laundry and just kind of hanging out in the space there, enjoying the free Wi-Fi. And uh, there's an open kitchen for pilgrims and a, a quiet meditative area back in the back and um, over time, we developed a relationship with the founders, um, continued to have uh, just an ongoing open conversation, and uh, I guess to make a long story short, uh, they found themselves needing to be back in the United States for six months uh, beginning last August. So we came, we agreed to come and uh, fill half of that time, my wife Dana and I have been here as volunteers at Pilgrim House since August the 1st, and we will return to the United States at the end of October.
0: How wonderful. It's a great thing to be able to totally immerse yourself in a, in a culture, isn't it? You know, we quite often visit places as tourists, but we don't it often is. get the opportunity to really immerse yourself, to really live day-to-day life in a in a different place. That's a wonderful experience for you both. It is,
1: and you know, back home, and it's 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 different than Europe. Back home in the United States, or, or maybe even in Australia, I'm not sure, but um, we work typically, you know, 50 weeks out of the year, and we get this short period of two weeks of vacation, which I just hate. And I've always been kind of a a rebel against that system, but I've I've never been a two week kind of guy, right? Um, so so we find ourselves here for three months, and and you're correct about that. It's Three months is a season, and it's a good time, it's a good period of time to indeed learn the ways of the culture, and um, I'm, yeah, in three months you, you actually learn how to live uh, in a place like this, and uh, it's it's been wonderful.
0: Tell us a little bit about yourself and indeed Dana. Well, Dana and I um, have been married for. A, we'll actually
1: we'll we'll actually celebrate our ninth anniversary here uh, on October seventeenth, and I think we're gonna think we're gonna go out and have pizza in in <laughs> Old Town <laughs> uh, for awesome for our anniversary. But I have spent uh, a lifetime in the field of of mass communications as a journalist, uh, working in you know beginning in the newspaper industry, then in the magazine business owned uh, my own small regional publishing company for a period of time back home. And I'm 52 years old and I grew up in, uh, in the South in in rural Arkansas in the United States. And what I, what I think of as a very small world, right? It was, it's a thousand miles South to the, to the Mexican border, 1500 miles North to Canada. And it was a wonderful way of growing up Um but again, it was it was it was a very small world, and I continued to uh, live in that world for for 30 years. I love the South back in the United States. I love the culture and the way we live. But I always wanted to know more about the bigger world, and so I grew up, um, you know, reading encyclopedias and and watching documentaries on television about about the bigger world and was always fascinated and so for the last um probably decade of my life have have enjoyed uh being able to to travel more and uh and pursue relationships in other parts of the world and and getting to know other places coming to uh, the way of St James first in 2015 is a part of that story. I mean, there, there's a lot more to that story why I came, but but just, you know, gaining an appreciation for the bigger world is, is a big part of my life now.
0: You know, I, I read your, your on your website, your blurb, if you like, and you've interviewed 15,000 people in your career. That's kind of daunting for a bloke like me. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I, and I also read that you're a 66 model. I'm a 66 model as well. It was a great year, Dan. It was a great yeah. year. Yeah. yeah. So we're kind of kindred spirits, 66 models, and we're pilgrims as well. I quoted Bob Dylan in, in the introduction. Do you feel the love? Do I feel the love? Yeah, the
1: Camino love. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I was just visiting. It's It's Monday morning here. And Saturday, it's it's again. This three month period has been so fantastic because I've had the opportunity to reacquaint lots of relationships um, that I made in 2015 and 2016. A lot of friends that I have um, are actually on their second or third pilgrimage now, walking in, and I've had the chance to meet them. Um, and renew those friendships. I've also been on for the last, well, for the bigger part of 2018, I've been on a book tour back in the United States and met lots and lots of folks um, who were interested in coming to the Way of St. James. And so um, many of them have come through and have gotten to see them again. So I was just telling a friend who was through here um, Saturday, he actually spent the night with us. His name is Phil Wilson, and he's from the U.K. And Phil and I walked a bit together back in uh, 2015, and he's one of those guys that you just, you know, you really enjoy spending time around. But the greatest gift, um, it sounds almost cliche to say it, but, but there's no question that the greatest gift that I've received from this experience is indeed, you know, I'm just a... I'm just a kid from the cotton fields of Arkansas back in the United States who now has friends, uh, good friends. I mean, genuine relationships with people all around the world now, and I attribute so much of that to my experience um, on the way, and I'm so thankful for it.
0: Tell us about a winter Camino because you walked in the fall or what we call the autumn in 2015.
1: I have uh, both times when I've walked. It's been on the on the French Way and set out about um, October twentieth, more or less. And it's interesting because um, there are still enough people on the way that you can enjoy those relationships. But there are, but it's also a time when the season is winding down, so you can spend about as much time alone as you like to. Um, and it was. It, I'm kind of an introvert um, who plays the role of extrovert when he only when he has to. Um, so I enjoyed those times of being alone, and I actually came here with with uh, with the intentionality of being alone and kind of listening to what God would have for the next part of my life because I had been through some pretty rough times back home. And um, but at the same time, I got to by the time I got to Pamplona, uh, four or five days in. I realized I was surrounded by all these incredible people with all these incredible stories. And as a journalist and a storyteller, um, it was just, uh, it was, it was almost painful not to, not to tell those stories. So I actually began to tell them over time and used a lot of different platforms on social media to, to kind of convey the experience in real time. But with specific regard to, to the winter season, um, by the time I had reached Osobrero, about two-thirds of the way through, we were um, receiving word on the way of, of some weather that was moving in, and this was, this was probably mid to late November uh, by that time. And so we had gotten to the elevations, and indeed, a, 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 a terrible storm moved in one night. It was, in fact, by definition— a blizzard. The winds were thirty-five miles an hour or more and the conditions were white out. And I had I had come to uh um, to walk with a with a pair of, of women at that time. One was from Michigan back home and the other was from Barcelona. And I expected them to come down in the albergue that morning and say, Well let's just let's just wait this thing out and see if we can't uh Walk the day after tomorrow, and let this storm pass, but they came down in full gear, ready to go and were and were prepared to walk through a blizzard that day so we I mean, we set out, and we walked from Osobrero down uh, and descended that elevation into Tricola and it was i I have never been colder, and I have <laughs> never been I have never been wetter. And at the same time, I tell people that it was one of the most wonderful days of my life because as I reflect back on it, I mean, it was a really difficult day. I mean, it was a very difficult day. And so when I experience those days back home now, when I have to, like, take out the trash or (laughs) rake the leaves, and it's, you know, it's something I'm not particularly interested in. I think, you know, I can get through this day. Because I have walked across the country and I have walked through a blizzard for eight hours. So I got this, right? No big deal.
0: Yeah, that's a great story. I I love that walk. That day's walk to me is is just so beautiful. I, I really do. And as I said at the start, quoting Bob Dylan, the storms are raging on the rolling sea and on the highway of regret. The winds of change are blowing wild and free. Did you plan on writing a book? Was it part of the plan? no i i absolutely did
1: not plan on that and uh i mean i want to i want to take a moment i want to say congratulations on the podcast you've put together because I, I was looking through it earlier this week and i mean you've got some really um uh, some great great storytelling assembled on this podcast and uh you've interviewed some you know as far as pilgrim people go you've got some really heavy hitters on this podcast and i'm not sure that I belong among them, but, um, I, I did, I was listening to an interview that you had done with, uh, Bill Bennett, I think, who was the author of, uh, what's his book? My, the Camino, my way, or the way, the way, my way, the way, my way. And I was listening to, uh, to your early, the early part of your interview with him and our stories are remarkably similar. I, I did not come here planning to write a book. I, I came here be, for a couple of reasons. Um, I had experienced, uh, I had been through it in 2008 and 2009. I'd been through some, some pretty rough times. I'd been through a divorce. Um, there had been an economic recession back home that had closed a business that I owned that I loved very much. It was publishing business. And in, and several years following that I went through a pretty rough period of, of pretty dark depression. And it was, I mean, it was a really rough time. And, um, a few years later, I came across a movie called The way, watched it on Netflix one night, just as many of us have. And it just had this in, incredible, um, it was just this incredible story. And I knew at the conclusion of that movie, I knew that I would one day come and I would walk that pilgrimage. So, in 2015, I was I was just kind of beginning to come out of that fog of depression, and I wanted to do something to begin to celebrate that. So, um, I mean, not only did I want to celebrate it, I needed to do something to try to determine what was next in my life. I was 49 years old. I had um, the recession had closed my business, and I was kind of. I was kind of in between seasons, right, in between seasons, spiritually and professionally, and I, and I think many other ways. And so I came here um, to celebrate whatever it was that was next, and I came here with an open mind and an open heart to try to listen for what that was. And as Bill um, profoundly said, I think in his interview with you, you know, when I walked into the square, there was no profound revelation. There was no grand epiphany. The magic didn't fall down and give all the answers to the, to the rest of life. And um, I wasn't particularly disappointed by that. But as I went home, I was, I, I was trying to determine for myself what this experience actually was. Was it just a different kind of a vacation or was it just a really long walk or did it mean something, did it actually mean something to the greater purpose of my life? And to be quite honest, I was hopeful for the latter. That's what I wanted it to be. And so as a journalist and a storyteller, I didn't know anything else to do. Um, I had made notes along the way. I'd made notes on my smartphone and on piece, you know, scraps of paper here and there. And so I sat down in a chair one day and I began to look at all those notes. And although I had never done anything as comprehensive as writing a book, as I looked at all the pieces of paper and the notes, I began to organize them and they looked like chapters in a book. So I just sat down and I began writing. And, and it was as much for me as it was, uh, you know, a commercial project because the writing was, was cathartic in a way. And over the next two years, of writing the book, I mean, it actually helped me understand what I had experienced.
0: That's a, a great answer, Steve. You know, being a storyteller and a journalist your whole life, you would have been filing things without realizing that you're filing things in your mind. You'd be you're always on the lookout for what is a story and I do it myself. I'm, I'm sure. a producer of a top rating radio show. I'm always looking for stories and and something that interests me might interest my audience. It's, it's what we do. So, so tell me about then your experience as a pilgrim. So when you realized something significant was happening to you, so tell us about that. So, you, you know, you're, you start in Saint John, I imagine, and, and you're walking the Camino and you start to think, wow, forget about the movie, the way I'm experiencing something extraordinary here.
1: I will tell you what a, a very poignant moment was for me. And it seemed like, um, after about four or five days of walking from St. John to Pamplona, a couple of different things happened. I mean, I think as I mentioned earlier, let me, let me back up for a moment. When when I went on pilgrimage, I went. I guess I'm an over researcher, right? I had followed a lot of the, I had followed a lot of the Facebook forums. I'd read a lot of the books. I'd done a lot of research, and and I think I did that to a fault. Um, because what it ended up doing was creating in me this preconceived notion. Of what I thought I should be and how I thought I should act when, when I got here. And for me, I knew, um, you know, and it's not this way for everyone. I understand everyone has their own Camino, but, but I did, I did anticipate that it would be, um, a very spiritual experience for me. Um, I'm a practicing follower of Jesus. Um, it's, uh, I'm I'm involved in church back home, all that kind of thing. And, and the idea of actually being on an ancient Christian pilgrimage and ending up at the place, which is the burial site of St. James, the apostle Jesus was, you You know, know. it's kind of a big deal to me. So, um, anyway, just, I give you that background just so you'll know, but I came with this pre, I came with this preconceived notion that I should come And that as a pilgrim, I should be quiet and reverent and walk solemnly. And, you know, and I'm just listening for God's voice as I walk along. And I think, as I mentioned, by the time I got to Pamplona, I had already met at least a dozen people who, you know, when you're on Camino, all you have to do is walk and talk, right? You're you're walking and you're talking. And I, I realized that I'm surrounded by these incredible people with these incredible stories and they just, it was, it was contrary to the belief I'd come with because I'd come here thinking I need to be quiet. And, and so I'm hearing these stories and I'm thinking, Oh my goodness, I need to tell these stories. They're, they're fantastic. Um, so there was that, there was that conflict in addition to, um, we've all heard about this phrase that we, that, that we commonly call Camino magic, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and it's this idea that just the right thing will come along at just the right moment and that there's serendipity along the way. And um, I mean, that's kind of a mystic idea to me, and, and, and I never really thought too much about that. So when I arrived in Pamplona, um, I actually stayed overnight. My body was pretty ripped up by the time I got to Pamplona. My feet were in pretty rough shape. And I, by the time I walked in, I just wanted to find a place and lay down for the night. But I was staying at a, a German albergue in Pamplona that was run by a hospitalero who had been there off and on for 20 years. And he was one of those men that we just uh, I just immediately made this connection with him. And you could tell that he was full of wisdom and full of experience. And, and you wanted to make the, use, the best use of the time that you had with this guy. So we entered into some pretty deep conversation over the next 12 hours and I said, I've got to ask you about Camino magic. His name was Heinrich. Um, and I said, tell me about this notion of Camino magic, because it just seems like this mystic notion to me. And I don't, you know, I don't believe in that stuff, And but I, I, I want you to give me your take on it. And he said, well, here's what you need to understand, Steve. And he was a very worldly man, and as as I said, very wise. And uh, he said, "Think about a lot of the things that you're experiencing in your life right now, especially back home." And this was in 2015 when we were beginning to experience some really, I think, changes for the worse. To be quite honest, back in the United States, uh, and things that we're still experiencing. But a lot of divis- a lot of divisiveness, a lot of conflict, and that kind of thing and he said think think about that for the moment and now think about where you are and this and this window of time you're at this place and you're on this path where people from all corners of the world are converging and for this window in time you're all on the same path and you're all moving in the same direction and not only are you for one another you're actually cheering one another on And he said, if you haven't experienced that yet, you will. And that is the magic of the Camino. And I think he was so right because um, coming from what I was coming from in the United States, and and we still are are very divided, conflicted people back home, um, it was so wonderful to have this experience where, People were coming together from all corners of the world, and we were
0: indeed for one another, cheering one another on. You know, I've said here many times Australians and Americans um, are are pampered. We we have first world problems. Yes. Uh, It's ridiculous how fortunate we are. (laughs) What, what, What did you make of the entitlement disconnect? You know, um,
1: I think it's so easy for us, and in, in, in we talk about the first world, as, as, as a communications professional, as a journalist, as a mass media guy, um, whether I like it or not, I live in the world of social media. I love the potential that social media has for the good. I hate what it has become for the, for the bad. Um, nevertheless, I have to live in it because it's a fantastic tool for storytelling and for reaching people um, all across the world. Right at the same time, I think what a lot of us do—you know—it's so easy for us all on social media. We're branding ourselves, right? We're, we're branding ourselves, and we're and we're creating images and and I think we get so disconnected. I, I think our our image becomes so disconnected from who we truly are that a lot of our lives, um, a lot of what we experience in our life doesn't feel real. And I don't know if we even realize that that's happening to us or not, but it was the great thing about pilgrimage. Here we are that you're walking 500 miles across the country, and you're going through this minimalist life day after day of eat, sleep, walk, repeat, and it's almost shockingly real. Um, We're encountering people, like I said, from all over the world. In the first 10 minutes, um, we're into conversations, real, genuine conversations that are deeper than we might even have with a sibling back home. And for me, that was, I I think that was the most um, refreshing part of it was just getting away from that disconnect of things not being real to a life of, of walking over 40 days that very much was genuine and authentic and
0: real. What do your family and friends make of Steve Watkins, the pilgrim? Oh, everyone back home thinks I'm crazy anyway. Um, (laughs) do they say, oh, no, here he goes again? Yeah, here he he
1: goes again. (laughs) Who who knows what's up next? But um, (laughs) it's funny because I remember vividly sending a text to Dana back home. She didn't come with me in 2015. And I was – I mean, I'm not a fragile kind of guy, but – I was still very concerned about going home and the questions that people were going to ask. I was afraid someone would ask a question like, well, how was your vacation or what was your favorite or what was your favorite part or this or that, knowing that they, you know, that it was just kind of an obligatory question and plot conversation. And I was, I remember sending Dana a text and saying, I need you to protect me for a couple of weeks because I'm not really ready to, to go back into our social circles and, 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 and have these conversations because I don't even know what it means to me yet. And so um, literally when I got back home, I mean, I stayed secluded <laughs> as best I could for another couple of weeks. And it was good, I think, because it was also during that time when I discovered that the best way to figure it all out was to sit down and begin writing. Um, but in terms of what people think, you know, since the book has been published and it was released um almost, uh, well, in another three or four weeks, it'll be one year that the book has been released. And... um I think by the end of this year, I will have been to more than fifty different book signings and and presentations at REI stores across the country, and I think the book has resonated. I mean, I think it has. I think it has resonated with lots of folks because it's written from the perspective of a very average, ordinary guy who has experienced, you know, the same kind of brokenness in his life that we all experience, but we just don't talk a lot about because it's not comfortable. But um, I, I think it has resonated with people and I've enjoyed having those conversations and, and, and feedback about everything that went into the book, which was honestly a lot of my heart and a lot of my soul.
0: Yeah. And you write beautifully. It's, it's a very accessible tale. And and that's what I want to to just ask you, being a storyteller, how do you, in day-to-day, you talk about your social circles, how do you explain or describe the Camino to people who who want to know about it now? How do you put it into words?
1: Oh, it's so difficult. And, you know, I can just be a facilitator in that regard because while, um, as I said earlier, while it was a very... um, spiritual religious i mean i don't even really like to use any of those words i don't i don't know a better word to use but well it was that experience for me and i knew that it would be i'm i'm also one of those people who tries to be so respectful of of everyone else and their beliefs and their way of life and and i know that it is not that for everyone for some people it's just an adventure for some people they just want to go and test you know test themselves and and the idea of of the achievement of having walked across a country in a foreign land where you have to learn new ways and and, and new things and every day is a different day. I mean, that's just an exciting prospect for some people, for others, it is a religious experience for others. um, You know, they don't even know why they're here. Um, And, and, and to be honest with you, I I find that that's the case for many, many people. They don't really know why they're here. They know that they're searching for something and that there is something more to their life and they're looking for that. But I think the best thing that you can do is just the best you can convey the experience, what it was like for you to others and tell the stories of others that you met along the way and then just try to help people figure it out as best they can because it's going to be a different as many people who have walked the way right and and we just learned um yesterday that in the next next couple of days we're set to break the all-time record for people who will walk the way of St. James this year. We will surpass the record mark of 301,000, right? Uh and that's going to happen any day now. Um but it's a different experience for for all of those three hundred thousand people. It's different for everyone.
0: Why pilgrims strong?
1: That's a great question. Um, as I said before, I came. I was involved in a lot of forums on social media, and 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 I was I was seeing what I would later come to realize after I actually walked that there is there is something all of us who choose to come and pursue something like this. Um, whether it's a, a, you know, a hundred mile walk from Saria or a 500 mile walk from, uh, St. John or a thousand mile walk. If you're on the Lapui route, um, there is something in a person's personality who chooses to come and do something like that, um, that binds us all together. And I'm not really sure what it is, but I learned that when I back in, in my early forties, when I was doing marathon, I was doing a lot of marathon running. And I had a, you know, I had a running group that I ran with regularly and I learned that we came to have this mutual respect for one another because of um, what we were doing together. We were doing something that was really hard, very difficult. And so you can't, uh, whether you actually like someone or not, you can't help but respect someone who does that. And so I wanted to do something that I felt like would further solidify the Pilgrim community and helping people to recognize the common strength that we all have. It takes a strong person, um, not just physically, not just your legs, not just carrying, you know, a 20 pound backpack. It takes a strong person um, physically and, and to some degree, spiritually and mentally. There are days out there that are tough, Um, but we get through it because we're strong and I wanted, so I wanted to create something that we could, that we could all wrap our arms around in this idea of strength. And, uh, and I'm, I I think it worked. I'm I'm glad I did it that way.
0: You know, you talk about strength and it leads perfectly into my next question because I, I wondered what's it like to be a pilgrim away from the Camino de Santiago?
1: I met a very interesting character just, because, just before I hit the Meseta in 2015. And his name was, I hope I can remember, remember this story correctly. But his name was Jeanique Guerin. And he had spent um, most of his adult life actually in Australia uh, working in the coal industry. And, and he was, he was uh, French by birth. But it was a very interesting character. Um, really, really smart guy. Had a bit of a superiority complex, but that was okay. I enjoyed being around him and enjoyed <laughs> and enjoyed spending enjoyed spending time around him. And I asked him one day, um, Johnny, what makes a person want to come and do something like this? And he said, there are three kinds of pilgrims. Um, there's the person who um, does it for spiritual reasons there's the, and, I, and I'm condensing this story. He said, but there's the person who does it for, for reasons of spirituality. There's the person who sees it as the challenge. And then there's the pilgrim. And I will never forget him saying, you know, the, the, the pilgrim is the one who never really knows why he or she is here. Um, they're the seeker and they're always looking and they're always on the path. And he looked at me and he said, and that is bad news for you, mate. <laughs> because he had already assessed me to, to see that I was one of those guys who, you know, is always kind of looking for the next thing and always asking questions. And and at 52 years old, um, I don't know, there's something about my life now that feels urgent. There's this urgency about life to understand the greater truths about life and why we're here and 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 what we can do to contribute to uh, you know a greater purpose while we're here so um you know we all talk about the 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 real camino begins at the end in santiago and as as cliche as it is i think it's so true um and and actually having walked the camino is just a part of the pilgrim life. And as my friend Heinrich uh, so eloquently helped me understand back in Pamplona that day, I mean, you know, we're all here for one another. I mean, we're, you know, in the end, we're just, we're all walking each other home, right? Um, And so, I mean, I think that's what it means to be a pilgrim. We're, We're all in this thing
0: together. So what's the best thing? about the Camino. What's the best thing about the Camino de Santiago?
1: Well, uh, again, I I think for me, for a guy who came from a very small world back in the United States, it's the opportunity for, for meeting other people from different corners of the world and understanding uh, their way of life. And so we've got this false notion back home and I hate it uh, back in the United States um, of, the way we do things is is you know it's the right way right We're, you know and and we have this idea of of making america great and i mean america is the greatest and i don't mean to sound unpatriotic or anything like that but but honestly i just i, I just don't like it because it's a big world and there are lots of ways to do things out there and just because we, you know, tend to isolate ourselves, I think, back in the United States doesn't mean it's the only way of doing things. So the opportunity of meeting people and learning new ways and, and understanding different cultures and, um, I mean, it's by far the greatest thing that, that, that you experience on a Camino.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. and And I think... Australians, Americans—you uh, know, we, we like I said before—we've we, got all these very first-world problems. It's yes. nice to be able to leave all of that behind. Now, I, I've got a question for you here that I've written. You're a pilgrim, a walker, a talker, a sharer. How did putting your thoughts on the page feel? And then a secondary question, if I may: How much of writing your story were you rewriting your story? Well,
1: um, I think when when you look, you know, there are lots of books out there about the the experience of the Way of Saint James. Lots of people who have this experience feel compelled to go home and put words on paper and and do something significant like writing a book. Um, I did not want to write. The typical book about the way of Saint James. I, for me, the experience of walking and the experience of of, of sharing time with people all over the world. It, if if I can make an artistic expression here, it was just like this wonderful canvas. Um, it, it became this canvas on which I could tell what I thought was a more important story. Um, and for me, Pilgrim Strong, like I said, was was a, was a very authentic um, account of what it's like to go through a, a lot of the things that we all experience in life, and we just don't talk a lot about it. I mean, I, I deal very transparently with the issue of depression in my book and what mm. it was like to go through that. Yeah. And there is a, there's a great quote in a book um, by an author back home. Her name is Sheila Walsh. And um, I forget the particular book that this quote comes from, but I remember distinctly that she wrote, Our brokenness is a better bridge for connecting with people than our pretend wholeness ever will be. And I love the idea behind those words because like we talked about on social media, you know, as we're, as we're painting this picture of our wonderful, beautiful lives with white picket fences and 2.3 children and six figure incomes and all that. I mean, everyone knows that that's not the reality of, of, of how life goes. We all have our issues. We all have our problems. We all have difficult circumstances that we have to overcome. And so, in many, you know, in many ways, putting those words on pages, it—I um, mean—it felt really good <laughs> because I, it, there was no pretending in that book. It was—it was very real and it was very raw. Uh, and I'm actually writing a, a bit of a follow-up um, to that book now that is that is equally raw and equally as transparent. And I find it—I find it to be very refreshing, to be quite honest. And I, and I, and I think readers enjoy it too, because, um, because it resonates with them because it's something that everyone experiences and everyone identifies with.
0: Yeah. And you know, you say on your website, don't take yourself too seriously. Don't freak out. Don't burn bridges, except every once in a while when you need to, then really burn them down. I want to ask you, Steve Watkins. What would you say to the 21-year-old Steve Watkins if you could whisper something in his ear right now? Oh, my goodness. Relax. <laughs> That's a good answer. Relax, <laughs> That's a really du- good answer. R-
1: relax, dude. Um, <laughs> t- take take your time. Uh, don't be in such a hurry. Um I mean, I was I was one of those young guys who I don't know. I, I just felt like it was necessary to per, to pursue um, you know goals and objectives and and milestone achievements, and I went after them so hard in my younger. Day. I mean, I had literally I, I was working in my dream job by the time I was thirty years old um which i was i was working uh, as a as a press secretary for a member of congress on capitol hill and that's my dream job ever since i was 14 and i remember um after we won that election i remember going to washington for the first time and i was walking up on the capitol steps and i was actually there <laughs> in an official capacity i mean it was my job to be there and i thought you know okay i've finally done it and and then you you get to a point like that and you already you know You begin to think, well, okay, now what's next? And, I mean, I think it's, I would tell any 21-year-old this, just relax. Um, Everything's going to be okay. It takes time to accumulate wisdom. And what you need to know is that one of the greatest gifts that a man or woman can have is peace. So look for
0: peace and relax. Yeah, yeah, peace. You say your life philosophy can be summed up in three words, let it rain. Yeah.
1: Um, it's funny. Um, I carried a song with me, um, and I think, honestly, I think it's by an Australian An Australian, and I think his name is Michael Smith. I think he's Australian. If I get that wrong, I'm sorry. But he wrote this song called "Let It Rain," and those three words in 2015 became my very simple prayer as I was walking across the way. Um, I had experienced a lot of really, really difficult stuff in life um, you know divorce after 19 years was very difficult and there was collateral damage to, to re- important relationships and you know then I'd lost a business and and, and, and that business wrongly um, had been a a big part of my identity I think and so I mean I had experienced a lot of rain um in my life and I had come through it and you know maybe one day I don't know maybe one day I'll encounter something that was just as difficult as as that time was it's 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 hard to imagine that that might happen but I realized that I'd come through it and it was by God's grace and there was no other there was no other explanation for having come through that time than the support of a wonderful wife, Dana, who helped me get through it, and God's grace. Um, so at that point, I was able to just say, let it rain. Let it come. Come on down. I'm going to be okay. I'm, I'm a man at peace now. And, um, you know, bring it on. I'm okay.
0: You know, Steve, I saw a while back a video of a barbecue at your house. I think it might have been July 4, right? You had a kind of rotating grill. Yes. And I I fancy myself as a kind of pretty good barbecuer. This was meat on a whole new level, my friend. Now, can I I reserve a spot along the way sometime to save your barbecue? I'll bring the guitar. How about that? You book yourself a ticket
1: to Memphis, (laughs) Tennessee, which is about an hour from my home. I'll drive over pick you up and we'll have a weekend of good good times. That cold barbecue beer, that's Colombian easy. Yes. Hi. Um I bought that grill, you know, when we talk about football back home, we're talking about a different kind of football in the United States and yeah. Saturday Saturday afternoons always a big college football afternoon and and there's nothing we love more than watching football and having big barbecue. And that's I actually bought that that grill several years ago and it's a big enough it's a it's an eight foot grill that that connects to a truck and you can actually pull that grill from location to location.
0: Um, <laughs> and it's and it rotates, right? So it, yes it's, it's, yeah, so you load in different parts and different meats and different cuts in different places. And then it slowly rotates so that nothing gets too hot at any stage. I imagine. But yes. It's it, indirect. It just it, looked it, amazing.
1: It's, yeah. It's wonderful. And I, it's one of my, it's one of the things that I do to relax, to, to bring my stress level down. Cause I'm, you know, I'm still a pretty uptight guy to some degree, typical American. Right. But, um, I love to cook it, You know, if, if I can get in the kitchen and turn the music on and get some fresh ingredients together, or, or, or if not, get out in my backyard by the pool and and get some meat and some barbecue sauce and a little bit of cold beer in a cooler. I am a happy, happy man.
0: <laughs> I love it. You know, I, I think it's we're just about out of time. I think it's worth pointing out one more single thing that needs talking about, Steve. You walked in winter. We talked about it: snow, blizzards, blistering winds ridiculously low temperatures, abysmal conditions, you were wearing shorts. Indeed. What were you thinking?
1: Dan, I wasn't thinking. I want <laughs> to, as I said in the beginning, I, I had I had really overthought this process. I, I was practicing with my backpack. I had... I had put cans of, you know, canned vegetables in my backpack to simulate the weight that I would be walking with. But here was the here was the mistake that I made. I didn't do a practice pack with all the items to see how they would fit in my backpack. So literally 2 hours before it's time to go to the airport, I'm doing my first pack, right? So I get everything in the in the backpack. And, I mean, I had practiced at 15 pounds. That was going to be my ideal weight for walking. So I packed the pack two hours before time to head to the airport, get it on my back, and I think, oh, boy, that feels heavy. That's not right. So I get the scales out, and I'm at 23 pounds. I'm seven pounds heavier than what I had practiced at, and that is a significant difference, right? Yeah. So. I go into this panic and I begin eliminating things. And what did I first eliminate? I eliminated all the long pants. So there were no pants to walk with. And I wasn't anticipating the kind of weather that, um, that we, that we came through at Oceboro, but Hey, it makes for a great story.
0: I can imagine you walking into those towns and the Spanish people saying, what are you doing? Who who is this And other pilgrims.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Look, look, we're out of time. I can't believe I could have talked to you all night. I love your sense of adventure, and I love your pilgrims' attitude because it's a faith-based attitude in many ways as well. And indeed, that is the very culture and doctrine of St. James. You say earlier you're an introvert who plays the role of an extrovert. Well, you play pretty well. (laughs) <laughs> it's like a, you, you, you did pretty well, my friend. Thank I really you. appreciate your time. And and Bob Dylan sang, and I started by saying, the storms are raging on the rolling sea and on the highway of regret. The winds of change are blowing wild and free. But I've got a feeling you ain't seen nothing like Steve Watkins yet. Cheers, Pilgrim, and Buen Camino. God bless, man. Thanks for having me on. Bye-bye. My guest this week, the US Pilgrim and writer Steve Watkins, for the book and blog and life and everything else, just go to pilgrimstrong.com, pilgrimstrong.com. I try to quote someone every week. This week's quote is Bob Dylan and a song I played at my cousin's wedding at Kingscliff on the north coast of New South Wales last week. And if you're in some other part of the world, Google it, Kingscliff, New South Wales, put it on your bucket list. Or as my friend Bernie Bonar said, forget about your bucket list, make it your Book It List. I'm Dan Mullins. Thanks for making this the best job in the world. We're all in this together. Until next week, Buen Camino.